last year, maybe, I'm not sure what part of the year it was, I could look and find out, but I, I brought a word about, um, about how the word, the, the word of God will test us. And I'm a faith guy, so I don't like to talk a lot about the testing of God. But when you look in scripture, you'll see so many places where God's word will actually test you. And uh, so I brought this word um, out of Matthew chapter 13. If you want to go there, you can look at it. But in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives this parable of the, of the, the sower and the seed. And um, if you pick it up in verse number... Um, ba, 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 um, let's pick it up in verse number 19. It says, while anyone uh, is hearing the word of the kingdom and does not grasp or comprehend it, the devil uh, comes down, the evil one comes down and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the roadside. And as for what was sown on the rocky soil, this is who, he who hears the word of the Lord and at once welcomes it with joy, and yet it has no real root in him, and it's temporary, it's inconsistent, it lasts but a little while. And then it says this in verse number 21, and when affliction or trouble or persecution or pressing comes on account of the word, so there's that thing there that there's a persecution or a pressure, a testing that comes because of or on account of the word that's given, okay? So this word comes, whether it's a life calling or, or a, something that the Lord encourages you in or something or a dream or a plan or whatever, and this pressure comes on account of the word. And then over in, we also talked about Psalm 105. In Psalm 105 verse 19, it's talking about Joseph. And how he's this guy who has this crazy word over his life. And it says in, I think it's around verse 19, it says something like this. And um, he was tested by the word. This is a bit of a paraphrase, but you can read it on your own. Tested by the word uh, until the time of fulfillment. And so the word that he had on his life was, was testing him until the time it was fulfilled. Okay? Now, that's not a real exciting thing. You know what I mean? Like... It's like, wow, that's really exciting. Praise the Lord. I'm going to be tested and I'm going to be challenged and stuff. But as I look upon where we are um, uh, chronologically in, in, in life right now, you could say, I know many people, I know many people in the room here, you could say that 2018 was quite a year of testing and pressure. You know? And uh, uh, I know personally, for us personally, Mel and I were just talking about this last night, there are certain things that we felt tested and pressured in this year, this last year, rather, that I'm, I'm, I'm saying, Lord, we want to pass the test because you know how it goes with the Lord. You don't, you don't get like 80% and then move on. It's like you pass or fail. And the beautiful thing is, is that if you, if you fail the test, then God just says, okay, we'll just go around the mountain again then. Let's do it again. So it's important that we learn from things that we're going through, right? And so, so anyway, and then the other thing was, I mentioned this in that same message that Jesus was, was tested by the word that he was carrying. I mean, he was the word made flesh, but he was tested. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he was wrestling with this word on his life about fulfilling the destiny for humankind, God's destiny for all of us. And so he's wrestling with it to the point where it manifested physically with drops of like sweat mingled with blood, like he sweat blood, right? Such a pressure. And, and, uh, and then when he said this phrase, he said, Father, you know, he wanted, Lord, can you, can you just take this cup from me? 
But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So there was a yielding to the word that was testing him. When he yielded to that, it was like, okay, we can go there. We can go through with this. And uh, remember Jesus said, you know, about getting hungry and stuff. He says, I have bread that you guys don't even know of. And the food that I have is to do the will of my father. It just feeds me, right? And so in that moment of testing, he's, it manifests physically. And he's like, no, I've got to, I'm just going to surrender my will, not my will, but Lord, Father, yours be done. And so that was that testing. The cool thing about that whole, that whole um, concept of testing and pressure, I brought this out a little bit. If you were with us, you might remember it. But, you know, uh, oil is only produced through the pressure of pressing of the olive. And, and wine is only produced through the pressure of the pressing of the grape. And so, uh, and it's interesting because uh, the word Gethsemane, the garden that Jesus experienced, I believe, the greatest pressure and pressing that he'd ever experienced in his life. The, the word Gethsemane means it's the place of the oil press or the olive press, you know. It's just so profound, I think, when you see stuff like that in Scripture. It's like, what? And so I gave that word about, about the pressure, pressure and all that kind of stuff. And um, it's funny, you know, we, we, here at Catch the Fire, we kind of get to, we get to live what we preach, and sometimes it's not fun, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but uh, the deal is, um, you've heard me say this before, you know, we teach what we know, but we impart who we are. And transformation takes place when we can give of ourselves. This is for you, for me, for whoever. We can help people and see people transformed when we are actually um, releasing something that we've actually lived through, you know. I remember being in a service years ago, I think it was like 97 or 98, with Graham Cook. How many have ever heard Graham Cook before? A uh, prophetic guy that's just, he, he, it's like every time you either, sometimes if you read him, it's, he's hard to read, but uh, it's like a mouthful. You'll chew on something he says for like hours and hours. And I was sitting in this uh, ministry scenario where it was a bunch of leaders and He's preaching and teaching, and he'd get up, and he'd just rip for, like, three hours. And I'm just, go, I'm just like, at the end of that three hours, you'd leave the meeting. There wasn't, like, ministry time at the end, laying on of hands or anything like that. And I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, there seems to have been such a revelation and impartation. I actually feel, physically, I felt like I'd been out under the power, laying on the ground doing carpet time, you know what I mean? And for, for hours, but, but it wasn't that. And then he explained that. He said, some of you asked me what, what it is about when I teach and stuff. And he said, the, the reason, he said, I, I, the Lord showed me this thing about uh, three levels of revelation, where one level of revelation is you'll read a scripture and it'll jump off the page and hit you, and you'll be like, whoa, that's really cool. And then just preach that because it hit me, so it's going to hit someone else. And that's good. That's a good start. The second level of revelation is where you read the scripture. It jumps off the page. It hits you. And it's like, okay, I want to dig into this. And so you dig into it a little bit more. And you research. And you go into some word study maybe or whatever. And there's a little bit more connection with it where it's not just a spontaneous one-off but it's a little more than that and then the third level of revelation is when you actually read it it hits you and you don't talk about it till it's manifested in your life and he says I always he says I always the Lord challenged me and said you need to teach and preach from this um, uh, this place of, of revelation when, when you teach and somebody asked the question well how long does it take then to get a message together to like release a message and 
And uh, he said, well, sometimes three or four years, if it's, if it's a quick work. <laughs> I'm going, whoa, okay. And then he, then he mentioned this, because I hadn't said anything. No one else has said anything. He said, that's why you'll notice that when I teach like this, it'll, it'll feel like there's such a deep, rich deposit that's put inside of you, because it's coming from a place of manifestation in my life. And, uh, and I was just like, whoa. <laughs> so anyway... Um, and then he also mentioned this. He said, you know, we could stop preaching in the church today and just start doing what we've been taught for the last 25 years, and we'd have a lot to go on. <laughs> anyway, so, but, uh, and so anyway, so with regarding this whole pressure testing, all that kind of stuff, um, when I get, how many remember that word when I preached that? Does anybody remember, remember it? Okay, some of you all do. Um, uh, I had this thought then, after that, I was, I was actually thinking about that a little bit, and I had this thought, and I wrote it down. If the pressure on the, of the outside force is greater than the pressure on the inside, then the outside force will prevail. But if the pressure on the inside is greater than the outside force, then what's on the inside will prevail over the outside. It's so simple, isn't it? And so when you look at it as pressure, as, as, as you know... Um, not in a striving sense, but I called, I called um, uh, today, I'm calling it Nothing But Fullness, part one. And uh, um, there was a season in our lives where somebody would, they, they would mention my name, and, and there was always, the word fullness was always attached to my name. Somebody would say, well, what's, what's T-Dog all about? And they don't, ever, anyone you asked, I mean, they just say fullness, fullness, fullness. And I feel that we've got a, a mandate uh, to be a catalyst for people to not settle for just average. I, I, I get very, very agitated with average, in my own life especially. And so I declared war on average many, many years ago in all areas. I truly believe that we are God's chosen people as Christian believers. I believe that I'm God's favorite. I believe that God has me on his mind. I believe that his banner over me is love. I believe that his will and his desire for me never changes. His character is unchanging. I believe that his mercies are new every morning. I believe that his faithfulness is greater than anything. I believe that in him there's no shadow of turning. There's, there, there, there's no, he's the father of life. So I believe this stuff, and so that tells me that I'm not called to just be an average Joe Schmo. Here we go. And so I feel like, I, I feel like a holy dissatisfaction regarding uh, where I am currently, even spiritually, because there's always more. Just nudge your neighbor and say, he's going to talk about more. <laughs> there's always more. We, we've done conferences called There Is More. We've done conferences called I Want More. And um, oh, if there's one thing that satisfies me, it's that I'm dissatisfied. And so, anyway, then Paul talks about this. Um, I'll just, I, I made a couple slides. We'll see if we get to some of them here. Nothing but fullness, okay? Um, here, here you go. A couple things here. I haven't got it all together. All right? I press on because I've been pressed in. Okay, good. And uh, I'm going to forget those things that are behind me. So, and I'm going to reach or strive for or reach or press into the things that are ahead. So there's this, there's this whole concept here. And then Paul picks it up in Philippians. Well, this is kind of where we're going to camp out for the next bit here. Philippians 3, verse 12, and you can pick it up there, and then we'll go through. But he's, he's, he's given us this picture of, um, 
he's, his salvation is settled, okay? He knows that he's fully saved. He's not talking about that. But he's talking about a, a, a heart that is set on pilgrimage to know him more, to know Christ more, and to, to actually have a greater measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ manifest in his life. And so he says this, he says, not that I've already obtained it. Somebody say obtained. He says this, he said, um, or I've already become perfect. Somebody say perfect. I press on so that I may lay hold for that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I don't regard myself as, as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting, somebody say forgetting, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward, somebody say reaching, Okay, we're, get, we're getting this. Some of the letters or words that are in bold, I'll maybe get you to repeat because repetition is the key to learning. Okay, good. I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many are, as are, are, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep on living by that same standard which we have attained. Keep on going here, if we can switch it over here. Brethren, join in following my example. Now, I, sometimes we have a problem with that one, don't we? You know, telling people, hey, I want you... I want, I want you to follow my example. Or you tell somebody, I want, I want you to follow my example. Got quiet in here. Okay. <laughs> follow my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even weeping, and that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he is even to subject all things to himself. That's a pretty good mouthful, isn't it? All right. And then he goes on and says, uh, therefore, I therefore, my, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. So stand firm. That's 4 verse 1. All right. So there's a few things that we see here. First of all, he says this. He says, you guys, I don't have it all together. I'm just going to say that straight off the top. I think it's interesting. Um, if you think about the pressure that Paul had going on in his life, uh, we're not going to go into it deeply, but... A lot of people have asked the question about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Um, what was it? You know, I don't believe it was sickness. I don't believe it was bad eyesight. I, don't, I personally don't believe that. I believe it could be. I'll just propose this, and you can take it or leave it. doesn't matter. Um, it could very well be, have been. Uh, his lifestyle prior to Christ was that of a terrorist just going out, persecuting the church, killing Christians, laying beatings on people beyond UFC. Even unto death and killing people, you know, he was there at Stephen's stoning and all that whole that whole thing. But I believe that it, the thorn that that he could have 
been referring to was the, the memories and the images that he had imprinted on his mind of what he did before he came to Christ. And it says that, it says that a thorn was given. So some people like to claim sickness they have. Like, I'll give you, okay, so just so you know, like the cold that I had last week was not a thorn in my flesh, okay? Uh, Paul also says this. He says that, that, that um, he has this thorn in his flesh that was given. It's a messenger of Satan given to buffet him lest he become too proud and puffed up. Okay? So I like to say this. Until you've written two-thirds of the New Testament, you don't deserve a thorn in the flesh. All right, that was just a freebie. That wasn't in the notes or anything. That was just kind of a thought, just a freebie, right? Um, and so, but regardless of all that stuff, we know that, that Paul had, this, had this, this pressure of his life that he once had, and now his pre- the pressure that God has put in his heart to see people encounter the true living God, right? There's this amazing thing happening. But he said this already. He says that, that I don't have it all together. And there are a few words here I want to highlight for us. Um, that word obtained, I haven't obtained it yet. It means to take hold of, to grasp, to enter into close relationship, to receive, to make one's own, apprehend or comprehend. Paul hasn't taken hold of yet the fullness of Christ, is what he's saying. He says, I haven't taken hold of it yet. He's tasted a little bit, but he still hasn't taken hold of it. But then in other places, he says that the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in Christ, in Colossians, and now it's in me. So I do have the fullness in me, but still that fullness that's in me, I still haven't taken hold of yet. I still haven't got the fullness of the revelation of what it means to be in him and him in me. Like he was, he was trying to unpack this. I think, I think he was a bit... Um, there was a, 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 a holy consternation inside of him. It's like, man, I know I, I've got this fullness inside of me, but I still don't know. I don't have it all yet. I mean, I've got it, but I don't have it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I know that, but I don't know that. It's, it's got me here, and some of it's got me here, but it's not all there yet. And so he has this, this fight inside of him. And he also talks about fighters in other places. We've got this fight inside of him. To, to experience this. And um, he says this, and he also says, you know, to be made perfect there, to be complete, to bring to an end, to bring to the goal or the accomplishment, to made per- be made perfect. Paul realizes that he's still a work in progress or process. Um, God is still perfecting him, pruning him, shaping him, opening up the un tapped areas of spiritual life, new level, levels of God's glory, he basically acknowledges that, that God is still working in him. Just nudge your neighbor and say, God's still working in me. So there's this, he's, he's like a pressure cooker. Hey, you, have you guys seen those things? What do they call them, the pressure? We got one for Christmas. What do they call it? Crock-pot? Not a crock pot. Instapot. Has anyone seen those Instapots? They're pretty wild, eh? You put, you put food in this thing, the ingredients in this thing, and the pressure that it comes under, the extreme pressure and the heat and all that other stuff, produces a meal in like a fraction of the time of, say, a crock pot, which like takes time and that sort of thing. And I feel like almost Paul's starting, he's trying to express the concept of an Instapot internally to people. You know, he's saying, I've got this thing going on inside. 
I think the big thing, though, is, is that he hasn't, he hasn't, he realizes, I haven't arrived yet. And I think it's a neat position to be in. Listen, if you want to walk in a greater measure of fullness, if you want to see things you've never seen or do things you've never done, I think it's good not to live and walk in a false humility of saying, guys, you know, I haven't arrived yet, but, but to recognize that there's so much more. There's a difference between false humility and saying, well, I don't deserve the more, and I haven't arrived yet. You guys, come on, like, follow Jesus, don't follow me. Paul says, no, 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 follow me, my example, as I follow Christ. You follow me. Call, Jesus called people unto himself first and then sent them out. You can call people unto yourself. Discipling people, mentoring people, pouring into people, your example, your life. But my big thing is, let's be a people who the pressures of life and the testings of life and the testings of the word on our lives and that sort of thing, let the pressure cooker inside of us be greater than the pressure that comes outside. Because if the pressure on the inside is greater than that that comes on the outside, what's on the inside will manifest and affect the things on the outside. That's why Jesus, when he was in the boat, he could release something that he carried inside. They're freaking out. They're freaking out. They're like, what in the world's going on? Jesus, wake up, wake up. And he just simply got up and he released something that he carried on the inside over the external. I talked about that one time last year as well. How we need to, we need to, and the unique thing about that is the pressure on the inside. There needs to be a pressure on the inside of the fullness and the goodness of God. Because when there's that pressure on the inside, that's why Jesus said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Like, we're talking gully washers, gushers, springs, like jet stream, I'm talking. Not these little trickles and these little, oh, I should do that. You know, it's like a, so my question then for you today is, do you have a conviction inside your heart that would say, Oh, I want to see a manifestation of this fullness. I realize that I don't have it all together, but I deserve it, and I know I have it. I just need to see it manifested more and more. The pressure that you have on the inside needs to cause you to press into what he's already put in you. You know, it's like that, that you would press into what he's pressed into you. You think of the woman with the issue of blood, and um, I like it. It's Matthew. There, it's in, it's in three, the three, three different Gospels, but... The, um, uh, is it Matthew? Here, let me just pull it for you. She, where, she, where it says in, in, the one, in the one count, it says that um, as, she's, as she's, it says she pressed through, uh, she pressed through the crowd and she kept saying to herself, if only I could touch the hem of his garment, I know I'd be made well. You know, she's got an issue of blood for 12 years, spent all she had going to doctors, everything else, nothing would happen. But she had a pressure inside of her that said, I need to press through this crowd to get a hold of the thing that is taking hold of me. You know what I'm saying? And so she's got this, this groan in her, and then, you know, Jesus says, well, who touched me? And Peter's like, Jesus, like, the word there is actually, there are crowds pressing you all around you. He says, there are crowds pressing all around you, and you're asking who touched you? And he said, no. He said, I know all these people are touching me, but somebody really touched me. Because they had a pressure on the inside that was greater than the pressure on the outside. And that pressure on the inside reached out and pulled on me by faith something that they needed. And just because of that, they're made well. They're made whole. You know the story. Think of, uh, even in Mark chapter 2, there's Jesus, there's, Jesus is there, he's teaching in a house, probably Peter's house, they say, Mark chapter 2, 
and four guys come with this paralytic guy on a mat, and they can't get into the, they can't get in before him because the pressure of the crowd was so great they couldn't get in the room. They couldn't get in the house. And so they didn't back down and say, well, I guess it wasn't God's will for me today, so I'll just back off. No, there was a pressure inside of them, inside of them, inside of their four friends, because it says, in, you read it on your own, Mark chapter 2, it says that they began to rip the roof off the place to get the man in front of Jesus so that, so that he would be made well. And it says Jesus said, Jesus seeing their faith, it didn't say, you know, in this case with the woman of the issue of blood, it, Jesus mentioned her faith, but in Mark chapter 2, Jesus mentions their faith. Not just the guy's faith, but the friend's faith. So even the friends had a pressure that actually inside there was a pressure to say, I know there's more for my buddy. I know that if we can get him in front of Jesus, he'll be made well. He can get right up off that thing. Oh, come on. And so, <laughs> and so, so he, he reaches out. They start ripping the roof off the place to get him down in front of there because there was a pressure on the inside that was greater than the pressure on the outside. Yeah. So what, 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 where are you at right now? Where am I at right now? And Paul starts unpacking it here. We're going to get into it in a minute. But where am I? Am I at the place where the pressure on the outside has affected me to cause me to shrink back? Or am I in touch with the pressure that's on the inside, the good pressure that says, no, there's more. And, and we're going to press in for more because I've already been pressed into. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to be like the woman with the issue of blood who said, I don't care who, who's pushing me out of the way. I don't care what the deal is. I know that if I can get a hold of him, I'll be made well. See, that, that's, that's a bit fanatical. That, that's not average. That's not average. That's not two, two songs, a skit, a joke, and a sermon. It's not. That's like, get out of my way. I'm getting what I came for. Get out of my way. I've got one focus. I've got one thing in mind. And I'm not going to settle for anything less. So they rip the roof off the place, lower him down in front, and Jesus obviously ends up, takes up his mat, and he walks out of there. He's healed up. He's, he's made whole completely. And so... <laughs> So Paul's got this going on, and it says there, um, here, we'll go to the next one here, next, next one. He says this, he says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. So he's, he's in this dialogue saying, there's more, I got it, but I don't have it, and I'm going to get it, because it got me. Right? So there's this word here, too, this, this word to press on or to follow after. Uh, it also is translated, that, that word is also translated persecute. Isn't that interesting? So now this, this gets real, okay? This just got real for Paul as he's talking about this because he's talking about this pressing forward for something, and he says this, so, and it also means to chase, but that word persecute. So you can see it over and over in scripture where Paul persecuted Christians. It's the same word. Okay, well, we'll let that settle a little bit. Um, but in this case here in particular, though, it says this, and the, 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 um, here it means to move rapidly, decisively toward an object 
objective uh, to hasten, to run, to press on, to chase. There's a story in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 2, 12 through 13, or 23, where um, Abner, a general for King Saul, um, loses in a skirmish to David, and, and um, it says then that, that, that David's general chased Abner, turning, not turning to the right or the left as he pursued him. So it says that Ashiel refused to give up the pursuit. In other words, there was something in him that said, I'm going to pursue. I'm not going to go left or right. I'm just going to press on. I'm going to go after him. I'm going to go after him. I'm going to go after him. I think it's interesting that we were talking a bit about this on the way in, actually. Barnabas pursued Saul. So Saul gets radically saved. And uh, Christ took hold of him on the road to Damascus. And he was knocked off his high horse. And he was changed. He was transformed. And then when he came around to the disciples, to the apostles, the, the guys were a little bit leery about this, thinking, hey, okay, this, should I, like, really? Are you sure you're, this guy's really converted? Or is he just doing this so he can suck us as leaders in so that we can get taken out too? You know what I mean? And, uh, but it says there, it says, but Barnabas. Later on it says, so then Paul left, and he was actually quite discouraged. He left, and then it says, but Barnabas. Barnabas meaning the son of encouragement. Barnabas went out and pursued Paul. And he found him. And because of his pursuit after him, that's why we have the New Testament like we do today. Because there was somebody who pursued him, you know. There was something that he had on the inside that was causing him pressure to pursue. And so here he's saying, I press on to take hold of. And that word to press on means to pursue, just like he was, himself was pursued. That's kind of cool. All right. So in other, words, there was, in other words, there was fire in his belly. Nudge your neighbor and ask him, say, do you have fire in your belly? Ready to burst. Now, this is what's wild. This is what's wild. The thing that makes this so real about Paul speaking this out is this. With the same zeal that he once persecuted, there's that word there, okay? He persecuted the church, 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Galatians 1, 13, Philippians 3, 6. He now pursues the church, pursues the people. He pursues, or and, sorry, rather, pursues Christ. He does pursue people too, but with that same fervor that he was once just going for it, going after the Christians, persecuting the Christians, now that's completely flipped around, and now he's pursuing Christ. What a crazy picture. He uses the same word. I thought that was powerful. I'm like, wow, that's, that's so amazing. The persecution that you went with such a tenacity with legal documents from the Roman leadership, you now go with that, with, with your legal right as a son of God to pursue God and discover the fullness to know him more. And I've said this before, it's just crazy how when people sometimes, some people, I know nobody here, some people, when they get saved from a lifestyle, maybe they were, they were going like hard after the pleasures of, you know, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the, you know, the desires, the evil desires of the old man. They were pursuing with all fervor. And then they get born again and they're like, hmm. hmm. And that passion goes away. And I'm going, okay, you missed the boat here. I question the Jesus that you, you have. I question the Jesus you contain based on the passion that I see in your life. Really? 
And religion will do that. Religion will suck the life out of everything, won't it? It'll suck the life out of, of the discovery of the one who took hold of you. And you can, with that passion that you once went after the things of the flesh, you can now get extreme about passion, about discovering your identity in him and discovering him and the fullness that he is in you. But there's got to be, there's got to be a, an awareness of it. And it's so easy sometimes, isn't it? Like when you think about the pressures of life and the, the pressures of things, like, God, is this thing ever going to come to pass? Like, oh, God. And I think sometimes we do a lot more complaining than we do contending. <laughs> right? And um, we do a lot more doubting than we do declaring and decreeing. You know? Huh? It's a new year. Come on, it's a new season. It's a new day. There's a fresh anointing flowing my way. So anyway, we see this picture here. And so uh, he says this. He says, I'm not going to give up my pursuit. I'm not going to give my pursuit of God. I'm not going to be easy about it. But I'm gonna, I must know Christ in all his fullness. I think that would be a good prayer to just put up over your life for this next season, for this new year. Father, I want to pursue you. I want to pursue you till I know you in greater measure of fullness. That I would look back on after a year's time, coming into 2020, that I would look back. You know, they say that hindsight is 2020, but that I would look back and say, well, I don't even recognize that situation there now. I got a word about that today. So take a look around because what you see today is going to look radically different than what you're going to see in a year from now. Come on. I receive it. Ah, how many would like that? Say that, hey, you know what? That what, we, what we just went through, we came through, whatever the personally, corporately, family-wise, business, whatever the case may be, man, I'm just going to keep pressing in for something greater because I know greater has already got a hold of me. All right. Come on. How much more do we want to get into here? Um, hmm. All right, I'll skip over this one thing. I just want to make this very clear, though. Um, years before, Jesus laid hold of Paul, or Saul, on the road to Damascus. That was, the, that was the point where Jesus laid hold of him. That was his, like, where he says, that which has laid hold of me, I'm now going to press into. I want to I lay hold of that which laid hold on me, you know? So he experienced this. So I actually, I personally believe that God always longs to encounter his kids. I, I firmly believe that. I think if you were to look at your life, you could see parts where, where God interjected and encountered you in a certain way that marked you for, for life. And I like to encourage people, not that you're just looking for a one-off encounter or one-off thing, but there's something about having a hunger to encounter the Lord and to know him and to encounter him and to see him and to experience something you've never experienced before. I would read stories about all these guys, men and women of old, who were like great powerful people in God and everything else, and I'd read them, and I'd be like, they had it, I want it. Sign me up. And so I just started to, to do that, to pursue that. I'm not, I'm not satisfied with what was happened yesterday or last year or last week or whatever. I know there's more. I've got an insatiable appetite for more and this discovery. And so it comes to a point where you, you almost just need to decide in your own mind, like just make a choice. 
You can, you can wallow and stay in your self-pity. You can stay in your situation that you think nothing's going to break out of. Or you can take hold of or press into that which has already taken hold of you. And if you feel it hasn't taken hold of you then, yet, then just keep pressing in because it'll take hold of you. Like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, we love him because he first loved us. I believe that you can experience a first love over and over and over again, you know? His banner's waving over you. It's love. Come on. I love that song, by the way. Isn't that a great passage of scripture? You know what that, that literally means? It means he invited me into his wine cellar. You know the banqueting table? It's the word there is wine cellar. And his banner over me is love. Woo-wee. Ha! Punch drunk love on the glorious gospel of Jesus. Woo-wee. All right. Okay, let's skip down. I want to skip over. I'm going to skip over one thing here. We're not going to do this right now. Bam, bam, bam. Here we go. All right. So then, then he says this. But so how do I, I want to press into this stuff. How am I going to press into the fullness of what's inside of me? How do I allow that pressure to grow inside of me so it affects the pressure outside of me? He says this. One thing I do. Somebody say this with me. Okay, let's try it again. One thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize, which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So there's this thing here where you've got to be able to forget. Let it go. (laughs) Please, let's not sing that song together. (laughs) That'll be stuck in your head for the rest of the day, the frozen song, you know, let it go, let it go, okay, I'll stop, okay, but there, there has to be, a, it's so wild how, how scripture lays it out so much, where Jesus says over and over, and, and um, Jesus talks about it concerning what the disciples have seen him do, uh, even in old, in, in days of old, in the, in the great patriarchs, you'll see there, they'll say like, forget about that stuff, but remember this, and they'd make an altar, they'd remember this, remember, so remember all the good stuff, Learn from the bad stuff, that's fine, but don't focus on the bad stuff. And here, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I'm going to forget about the stuff in my rearview mirror, and I'm going to look here. You notice that when you're driving, like, think about that. If you were to drive around in your vehicle, how fruitful would your driving be if you spent the whole time looking in your rearview mirror? Oh, yeah, remember what happened last week? Remember what happened last year? Oh, yeah, oh, wow, what a disappointment. Oh, what a disappointment. And I'm not belittling, because I know people have been through some rough stuff in the last year and whatever else, and, and, uh, but I'm here to encourage us that our windshield is extremely larger than a rearview mirror, and there's a reason for that. Because you're not called to look in your rearview mirror and, and complain about disappointments and hurts and pains and all these trials and things like this in the past. You're called to look forward. In fact, press forward, strain forward. It's a picture of a runner running a race and how at the finish line they'd be straining forward to break the tape, you know? Pressing forward. You know what, if, if you're here this morning though and you feel, you know what, I just don't have any press in me, I would encourage you just to get around some pressing people then, you know? Invite people into your bubble that will cause you to be uncomfortable with your current state. Invite people into your life. And uh, it could be as simple as this. I don't know if you've ever had anyone do this. Has anyone ever called you and said, hey, can we connect? Uh, I just need encouraging today. Has anyone ever called you and said that? 
yeah, some people have. It's good. I think it would be great if we were all just known for being such encouragers that people would be lining up saying, man, i just like a few minutes of your time. Because I don't know what it is, but when I get around you, I just get encouraged. The air gets clearer. The sun gets brighter. The sky is bluer. Ooh. So he's saying this, but he, he literally says this, forget this. So then, that, then I had just a question, you know, what are you, what are you looking at? Where are you looking? Uh, are we looking at, you know, past, past losses or regrets or failures, disappointments, like all these things that sometimes cloud us? Because those very things that we read right there, losses, failures, regrets, disappointments, those things there will keep you anchored in a place that, that you're not going to walk and step into this destiny that Paul's talking about here. If you're anchored in that stuff, it just it can't happen. Because you're so stuck in the past, you can't embrace what God's doing now and in the future. Right? I, I didn't put it up there, but you could also put on there victories too. You know? Oh, I remember when, how good it was, when da-da-da-da. Listen, we honor the past. We, we, we bless the past. But I'm excited about what God has for me in the future. It's time to press forward. Yeah, it's, it's not time to look back. It's like it's a season to lean in and press forward. Because he wants to take hold of, he wants to, you to take hold of something that he put inside of you already. <laughs>